And I remember in this meeting, like it was, it was fine. I can't, I can't even remember who was preaching uh, that day. But I was sat across the room, and then suddenly, on the other side of the room, somebody just started screaming, screaming out. And do you know, like, do you know those moments where you just feel that the atmosphere in the room change because you get so. What is, what is that? That's totally inappropriate for a group meeting where there's lots of people present. But it was like somebody had just crowbarred the lid off just all the pain in this woman's life. And it just started flooding out of her into the room. And not in a nice, respectable English way, but in a way that was scary and disquieting, and actually completely unnerved me in this moment. But what made me more discomfortable, discomfortable? (laughs) (laughs) All right, okay, language is fluid. Nothing like trying to tell a powerful story and making up words halfway through. What made me more uncomfortable was the response of some of the people in the room to this lady. She was quickly ushered off to a backspace, taken quite forcibly from her seat, and she was taken into a back room. You could still hear her from the main room, and I followed suit, feeling, look, you know, I'm an elder, I've got to go, got to go see what's going on over this. And in this, in this place, these Generally, very nice people, they, they changed. They became very aggressive toward this lady. They started shouting at her, telling her not to speak. They started trying to pry open her eyes. Some of them started telling her off for not being, for, for being silly and not cooperating. They were, they were forceful and aggressive with this lady to the point where had she gone to a court of law the next day and said, I was assaulted in that church meeting, I would have had to agree. I would say, yes, she was physically assaulted in that meeting. There was a, a complete lack of care in this moment of what was a spiritual manifestation of something There was a total missing of the poor woman in the way that this moment was dealt with. And I, as a supposed leader in this meeting, was just left completely helpless to what I'd just seen, sidelined. And I remember feeling so very uncomfortable and concerned Do you know, I've slowly but surely realised that in this moment, some of my discomfort was very justified. Some of it, though, some of it was not helpful at all. And I hope that becomes apparent as I speak today. Today, if you want to turn to chapter Five, we're going to be looking at the kingdom Jesus really came to overthrow. So we're looking at Mark 5, 1 to 20 today. If you've got Bibles with them, just take a moment. 
But as you turn, what I hope you realise as we've been going through Mark, that, that one, if not the key thing that Mark wants you to understand is that Jesus didn't come to do battle with men. He didn't come to do battle with flesh and blood, kings and kingdoms. As was expected of him, he came to do more, something much bigger. You see, Jesus' ministry, as we've watched him go through his first period of ministry in Galilee, was repeatedly pulling back the curtain and exposing that behind much of the world's pain and suffering was an unseen kingdom to us, a kingdom that the Bible calls a demonic kingdom, led by Satan, that had become powerfully established across the world and in people's lives, spiritually influencing and shackling, binding many men and women. Now, essentially, what Mark teaches us is that the world is a bit like this. It was created pure, perfect, good, healthy, helpful. Yet, what's happened in the world is actually a load of dirt has got in. Sullying it, making it filthy, making it not what it should be on the inside. And this has damaged and muckied God's creation and particularly our spirits to the point where you can't really see anymore in certain places what they were created to be and look like. You can barely see that, but that's a guy covered in a lot of muck. And he explains throughout Mark that actually a lot of this dirt in people's lives, in cultures and in whole nations, is due to the power of what is often called unclean spirits. Demonic spirits. We're not talking little horned men here. That came along later and was all confused. We're talking about spirits that don't follow God and have bad intentions for your life, and want to lead you away from God into bad things. And Mark shows us that Jesus' whole life, the focus of his battle, was about purifying this water, tearing down, dethroning, and taking apart this false kingdom, this behind-the-scenes kingdom. He came to overthrow and overpower it completely. Dave Devonish, one of the leaders in New Frontiers, the group of churches we're a part of, says, the reality is that the advance of the gospel and the building of the church involves attacking and experiencing counterattack in relation to cosmic forces of darkness under the control of Satan, who is described as the God of this world. So, 
we've already seen this in so many places as we've been looking through this. We've seen in the very first few verses of the book of Mark, Jesus encounters Satan himself. Satan tries to tempt him to be a part of his kingdom, and Jesus just knocks him down straight away. Then we've seen the man in the synagogue in his early ministry, who when he encounters the holiness of Jesus, cries out, what have you come to do with us, Jesus? And Jesus gets rid And we've seen loads of places already, just in passing comment, which say whenever he went to a town and a place, well, he was there, he healed the sick, he preached, and he cast out demons. But I don't think in any place is this more apparent than in the verse we're going to read today, when he encounters a demoniac in a place called the Decapolis, The Decapolis. The Decapolis where he encountered this man was on the far side of the shore where Jesus had been doing most of his ministry. And it consisted of ten Greco-Roman cities that were not under Jewish rule. They weren't under primarily Jewish. They worshipped Greek gods and the Roman emperor as part of the Roman cult. And they did things like farm pigs, which was expressly forbidden under Jewish laws. And this is the first time, in Mark at least, that we see him taking his disciples over to this foreign land, this no-go land, this land where they knew they were in the enemy's territory. This was the point at which Jewish rule of the day ended, And pagan gods and ways ruled people's lives. And this is what happened when he arrived. They came to the other side of the sea, the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Take a moment. What strikes you about this scene? Just engage with the scripture a little bit. How do you feel that you would have reacted if you were stepping off this boat with Jesus as one of his followers and you encounter a man wailing and cutting himself who preferred the company of the dead to the company of man? What emotions would you have felt? I think my first response would have been terror, fear, and discomfort, and a sense of helplessness as I saw this man before me. Like, pretty much the same as when that woman cried out in the meeting, probably just up a couple of notches. 
I was just on a nice little boat with my buddies. And now I'm in a foreign country faced with this. And we're told here it is helplessness. Helplessness is what everyone else in the region had felt towards this man. The society around him had completely run out of ideas of how to help him. The best they could do was just tie him up, to bind him, to try and protect him from himself and others. But even this wasn't working anymore, we read here. He was ripping apart the chains, totally tormented. Do you know what we're reading is incredibly sad here, isn't it? This man's life was completely ruined. A loveless, lonely, tormented existence whose torment and suffering was spilling into the world around him, just causing fear and discomfort, affecting the whole region. But what made him like this? What's the diagnosis here? Do you know, well, if if he was in our world today, I think it would have been incurable mental illness diagnosis. He would have been stuffed in the back of a secure ward, I imagine, and medicated up to the eyeballs, possibly to the end of his days, to protect himself and others from his behaviour. He'd have definitely come into my office a few times before then in probation. And I'm sure people would have said, look, this is purely down to physical and psychological factors and damage that had left him this way. You know, in general, I I don't think the Bible gives us an easy, clear line on where social and physical reasons for mental health issues end and the spiritual begins. There are clearly many ways our biological or our way of thinking can impact on our health. Our series on being an emotionally healthy church addresses a lot of this. But the Bible is clear that particularly as God's people and people who understand his Holy Spirit and people who understand what Jesus' mission was about that we should not discount in a world that does, there may well be a spiritual element to it that needs the power of God alongside wider support to break people free of it. And here Mark's diagnosis and Jesus' diagnosis is very clear as to what is going on with this man. In verse 2, he says... An unclean spirit was present. Jesus first went to a spiritual explanation. The reason for this horrendous situation, this poor man's well-being, all of this fear, was this. That in this behind-the-scenes kingdom, in this place, 
this man had been affected by the muck of mucky, unclean spirits who were damaging him. In fact, as we read on in a moment, we're going to find out that it wasn't just one unclean spirit, but so many unclean spirits that this man took the name Legion and referred to himself as we. Fillmore writes that a Roman legion was between 5,000 and 7,000 men. The reason for this man's extreme state of well-being, the diagnosis that this chapter in the Bible gives it, is that his spirit had been muddied by an army of Satan's followers. To the point where you could barely see who he was meant to be and made to be anymore. Do you know, I don't know if you can see that because of the light. But what we're seeing for the remainder of this story is Jesus standing alone, not before one broken man, but a great horde of evil spirits, a stronghold of Satan. Like Samson holding his jawbone facing down the Philistine army. Like Gideon with just 300 men ready to blow the trumpets before attacking the Midianite camp. As the blindfold is lifted on what is going on behind the scenes here, Jesus is standing before thousands of the enemies of God and entrappers of men. A stronghold of the army he had really come to defeat. So what happens? And when he, Legion, saw Jesus coming from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you come to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying, Come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to see Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. 
And we went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So what do we see in this scenario as Jesus stands before an army of evil, a helpless man and a helpless community? In essence, what we see is this. All of the dirt in his life, all of it, caused by the thousands of demonic influences, are poured out of his spirit and into a couple of thousand pigs close by. All of it. (laughs) Use your imaginations. Who all, because of the torment they face at receiving these spirit, commit instant piggy suicide. You could say they committed a sort of mass suicide. <laughs> Hold on, wait for it. Hamikuri? Hamikaze? No better. That one was butters. But the demons are gone. They're gone. They're poured out of this man. And we see in probably the most beautiful line in this passage, if you just take note of it. After the herdsmen watching have run off to tell everybody else about what happened, they return to find this. Verse 15. The one who had had the legion was sat there, clothed and in his right mind. I'm not sure he was looking that dapper. This man is completely transformed. Clearly, totally recognisable as himself still, but totally unrecognisable at the same time. No longer naked, no longer crying out, no longer cutting himself, no longer full of shame. He has been washed of all that from the inside out. All that he was intended to be when he was created by God has returned to him. The dignity... The dignity, clothes speak of such dignity, don't they? They'd return to him. He's fully clothed. And his mind is lucid once more. What a gift to have a lost mind restored to you. He's suddenly able to think clearly and long violently. Where social interaction has been lost to him, he can hold conversation without fear. He's totally free. Where every other intervention has been just to restrain, just to control this man, just to manage him and what was wrong with him. Jesus broke the chains and everything binding this man so that he could be truly free. How, I mean, how does this happen? I mean, Jesus was totally outnumbered here. How does this come to pass? How does this emptying take place? Is there a fight? Does Jesus wrestle with this man? Does he begin shouting and screaming with the demons? None of these things happen. Instead, when faced with this man, this one man versus the many, Jesus versus the many, what you notice in this passage is everybody becomes beggars. An army of evil, the helpless man, 
the helpless community, all become beggars in this story. It's like the lesson of David and Goliath over again here. Although the giant towers over all earthly power, when the real anointed king enters the room, there's only one outcome. The giant is going to fall. And the legion knew it. We read as soon as Jesus entered their territory, the very presence of his holy person exposed them when they were there. And they recognized Jesus with fear and cry out what we've read in verses like 7. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God. Don't torment me. And then we see them become beggars. And they begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. They begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. Now Luke's account is slightly helpful here with this whole don't send us out of the country or city things. Luke reads how they said don't send us into the abyss as well, which was an eternal place of judgment and damnation. They recognized that Jesus had authority over their eternal future. And they begged him, don't send us into the pit, a, a place of judgment. Send us off in those pigs over there. When true holiness and true heavenly authority is present, what we see here is everything else that exerts power and control over lives just has to give way. And when faced with this power, everybody else in our story becomes beggars as well. The man freed after finally encountering someone who could help him begs to join him, but he's sent to be a missionary. And the people who had seen the power, who would you expect to fall on their knees and thank Jesus for what he's done, are afraid and beg him to go, presumably because he's shown the authority he has over their economy as well here. 2,000 pigs gone just because he said so. This man's authority was scary. He was a Jew and the Jews had been battling the Decapolis for hundreds of years. Now they have this power. Get out of our region. I'm afraid of you. How did this happen? How did he clean this man out? They recognized his authority and knew that they were but beggars in comparison to it. I started with this, didn't I? I was left with helpful and unhelpful concern. Helpful and unhelpful concern. What was the unhelpful concern concern that I felt first. But simply that I had missed something about the kingdom of God and the kingdom that he had really come to overthrow. What this story in Mark and this account of the Decapolis demoniac shows me is that I shouldn't be at all surprised and uncomfortable about the fact that as Jesus was being proclaimed in this meeting, as his presence and authority was present, that it caused an unclean spirit to cry out of this lady and want to get away. Because unclean spirits here are part of what Jesus wants to bring us release and freedom from, where they're present. Christianity is not just about a good moral teaching, where we try, we hear it and try really hard to follow it. 
It's about God's purifying kingdom come to earth in power, in the person of Jesus Christ, then in the person of the Holy Spirit who comes to dwell in us that we might continue the advancement of his kingdom as Jesus led and proclaimed us, proclaimed it, modelled and proclaimed it. You know, Jesus, if you imagine it without the stuff at the bottom, wants to clean you out your insides out completely from everything that dirties and sullies us. This includes releasing us from the kingdom of evil and evil spirits where they're presence, wherever they have influence or power. It includes that. He wants to fill you up again with his love, power and Holy Spirit, that pure water that you were always meant to have in there. That's what Christianity has an offer for people today. This is so central to Christian doctrine and the teaching of Mark here. It doesn't solve some of those problems we face in that balance between is it physical, is it mental, is it spiritual, but it does say sometimes it's spiritual. And we mustn't ignore that. Do you know, I have a feeling that Western Christianity can sometimes feel dry or ineffective? In part because of this, because we've lost touch with this element. Why we're not excited sometimes about coming with intercessory prayer into situations. Why we take flowers first and pray later. When the Bible says, no, pray first. Take those flowers, support love, but pray in earnest. That if there's anything spiritual in that, it'd be battered down. We're not talking about getting silly with it, as of some worries, but we are talking about acknowledging what the Bible says about these things and building our lives on the back of those. Church, I want to say... It's time to become comfortable with the big biblical foundation for this again. God wants to advance his kingdom by cleaning out the occupying forces here in Liverpool. It's a spiritual cleaning that he's about. A cleaning out spiritual muck wherever this appears. You know, we're called Freedom Church. Freedom Church. If we want to bring about the type of freedom in the city that God wants to bring about, we have to recognize that this is a part of it. However, I said there was also some helpful discomfort in this situation. What was that? You know, I don't, I don't know if it's just me, but when I read stuff on the demonic, when I read stuff about casting them out, I think there's a load of rubbish that is sort of built on top of what I actually see in the Bible. And I think we've got to go back to what we actually see in the Bible about it. Do you know, and uh, I think people who often in this, when we, when we encounter this stuff, people who you think are just normal and gentle can often suddenly get a bit weird with it. And this is what I think happened when this lady with the unclean spirit in that church surface started 
uh, started manifesting, started coming out. Generally, nice people can suddenly become aggressive, a bit shouty, a bit showy, a bit casty-outy. They can totally forget. I'm happy with that one, by the way. Casty-outy, we're going to own that. But in essence, as they do this, they totally forget the precious woman of man or God of God in the middle of what is happening. They forget to cherish them in the way that Jesus cherishes them. This Jesus who ran out for the lost sheep, who went after the one who tore himself apart just to find them. That's the heart that you come at this with. What I see here in this story and throughout the Bible is totally different to that model of how we deal with this. Jesus isn't going around trying to identify spirits in people that they maybe find hard. You know, I've been under one in one place where I don't know. Whenever, uh, whenever a woman had something to say, it's like, oh, I think they've got the spirit of Jezebel in them. I, I'm not. I think they're just trying to make a point. Do you know? <laughs> don't go looking for it. You know, the pattern I see throughout Scripture is this: Jesus enters in situation. What happens next is that if there is an evil, unclean spirit present, they either recognize him directly or where there are children are involved, the parents ask for his help, recognizing that he's the solution. They know the true authority that comes in and purifying presence when they see it and they become beggars before him. You know, Recently, I met with a, with a woman who'd been involved in, in witchcraft here in Liverpool. And, this, you know, something happened halfway through. Halfway through, she physically told me that she, she couldn't look at me. She couldn't look at me. Now, I know I'm dazzlingly handsome, but I don't <laughs> think that was the, the issue at this point. Actually, you know, me and my flesh, you know, there's nothing special. There's nothing special. But actually what Jesus has done is he's hidden his Holy Spirit inside me. And in this moment, as we were talking and as we were communicating the gospel, something just started to control her and recognize this and said, I, I can't look at you. I can't look. And she started to bow her head in this conversation. What had happened in that moment? Well, this woman had come from pagan lands and she was recognizing the Holy Spirit inside of me. It was recognizing that God had done something in my life. What we see after this, that they just recognize the holiness inside of Jesus, is he simply tells them to go. The harshest I ever see him get in scripture is the word stern, actually. Stern. He gets stern with a demon in Mark 1 in the temple. Be quiet and get out. And this is enough to cause the spirit to go. Now, the man convulses violently in this situation and the spirit's released, but Jesus is just stern with him. And even here, when he's dealing with the most demonized man who has ever lived, the most demonized account of of anyone we've ever lived, in a hostile pagan environment, Jesus essentially just has a chat with him and sends him to the pigs. The only time I can see it where it gets a bit more violent is in Acts 19, where actually true authority is not actually present. 
some Jewish leaders are trying to cast people out in Jesus' name, and they don't know Jesus. And they say to him, hey, do you know what? Paul I recognize. He's got the Holy Spirit in him. Jesus I recognize, but I don't recognize you. I don't recognize you. You haven't been transformed in that way. What do we take from this? Well, I think it's this. Where Jesus is truly present. We don't need to behave like people in my story. But simply know that if his Holy Spirit is present, just like in the the Decapolis, where there is dirt in lives because of unclean spirits, it will become apparent. And with love, but gentle authority from heaven, sternly at best, can be told to leave. We don't need to assault people. So although it is important to get comfortable with the fact that the kingdom Jesus really is coming to overthrow is a behind-the-scenes spiritual kingdom, we must understand in equal measure that if our response to it is wrong, then we can be part of the damaging problem for this world. When something happens similar to the event I've described in our midst, we have to recognize that it is already a sign of the holy presence of God being there. And at best, we can follow Jesus' lead, acting on the authority that his Holy Spirit brings, and gently but authoritatively tell it to go. It might need some counseling. It might need some medical intervention but it also might just need the power of God in that situation.